Today, we are continuing our series about learning from Abraham. Today is part five of this series. And jumping right in where we left off, we're going to read, start in Genesis chapter 17, starting in verses 1 through 3. And within this first point, uh, well, let me read the verse first. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. So I want to uh, stop right there. And let's unpack this with our first point, which is a simple life. Simple life. And within this point, I want us to grasp that the call to righteousness and holiness is incredibly simple, but it's contrary to our flesh. It's incredibly simple, but it's contrary to our flesh. And within this major covenant that God makes with Abraham, we see a clear call to live a righteous and holy life. When God says, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, it is a call to put God first above all else, which is holiness, and to do right by people, which is righteousness. The idea of being blameless is simply not doing something that would cause people to blame you for something wrong. This calling, it seems incredibly simplistic, but it is actually very counterintuitive to our worldly nature. First is our desire when it comes to this idea of holiness, this idea to serve God faithfully. Holiness uh, can be described as it really translates to being set apart. That's why olive oil is, uh, is, is referenced as being a symbol of holiness because olive oil does not mix with water. It, it separates even within water. It doesn't mix and so holiness is this separation, this, this um, singling out. And so when it comes to our desire in worship, we as people constantly desire to worship and regard creation above its creator. Even within our first world society, think about just in America, we're a first world country and within our society, it's easy to lift up materials as our end goal in life. We live, we move, and we breathe for things. New car, TV, house, stuff, things upon things upon things. We are never satisfied by the materials that we own or acquire. And we constantly want more. This materialism, is, is it, it can easily turn into this, uh, this worship mentality within our hearts where we desire things. And not to mention, I mean, when we think about the idea of like not lifting up idols or um, not putting anything else before God, we typically don't think that we would uh, be people to like start worshiping like a statue per se. But think about this for a moment, how certain people literally look to creation as forms of supernatural significance, even in America. And in third world countries, we can find this really commonly, where created things 
are looked at with in such great super uh, supernatural significance. Like in Egypt, with it, they have they had such a um, there's so much supernatural significance to cats. Um, within uh, India, the same thing with cows, and um, we can go on and on with um, the different uh, 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 countries and peoples. I mean, even in uh, olden times, uh, where Germans, theirs were the trees. Um, they, they had such supernatural significance. So people's high esteem, even today, and again, in our first world country, where we're just so smart and we're above uh, uh, tribal thinking, even in our country, people have high esteem for crystals, for horoscopes, for planet and star arrangements, even moon worship. Like, that's a... It's kind of crazy to me that moon worship is a thing within America. I never thought, even before becoming a Christian, that there would be real people in American society that literally worship the moon. Yet here we are. There's people that, that have such high regard and believe so much significance within the placement of the moon at certain times to where even if, if they're wanting like like it's some type of healing of ailment within their body they'll go and literally like dance outside when there's a full moon like with crystals all around them like this is a a real thing that happens today and we easily fall into this unfaithfulness by worshiping the things of this world rather than the maker of this world it's within our human sinful nature to worship the created rather than the creator now second is our natural selfishness as humans we naturally make ourselves out to be gods. It is something just within, it's again, within our sinful DNA, we naturally make ourselves out to be God. And we push the belief that the universe bends to serve me. Capital M-E. And so it only becomes complementary to eventually look at others as a means to an end. As a means to an end. And the serve me mentality makes it easy. It makes it easier for us to refuse the L's in life if it means that someone else can take it for you. And so this is where we're we're talking about uh, when he calls Abraham to live a blameless life. And so it's counter uh, our it's counterintuitive to our DNA to be righteous. And you may think for a moment that not everyone is selfish like that at first. Not everyone is, has this natural selfishness, but I want to really project this idea. Simply think about the reality of how every single human being has lied at some point in their life. Every single human being has lied at some point in their life. Even if it was them as a child, every single person has had a moment that they put themselves ahead of someone else by stealing the truth from them. A lying is stealing the truth from someone else. It is putting yourself above others in that moment. Lying is putting oneself first, no matter what the motivation is. Whether it's to protect yourself, whether it's to uh, uh, get something, to manipulate something, it's putting oneself first, no matter what the motivation is. And it takes moral intention to live a righteous lifestyle. It takes moral intention to live a righteous lifestyle. It doesn't come naturally. So within this call, summing up the, this idea that it's a simple life that God calls Abraham to. It's incredibly simple. 
to serve me faithfully and to live a blameless life. But this call to righteousness and and holiness is very contrary to our flesh. It takes intention. Now going on, let's continue reading this dialogue of God and Abraham. It continues on in Genesis chapter 17, verse 4 through 6. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. And I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations. And kings will be among them. Now, with this, within this part, I want us to unpack this idea of being seen by God, the way that we are seen by God. And within this, I want us to understand that God sees us outside of time, within our full potential rather than our current state. God sees us as our full potential rather than our current state. And in this call to Abraham, God gives him this new name. He gives him his new name, and he goes from Abram to Abraham. Now, to better understand the significance of this, Abram means exalted father, while Abraham means father of multitudes. And while he fit as a father figure to Lot in his past, see, Abram still was significant. Even though he wasn't a biological father, he still acted as the step-in father, which which could be the exalted father, when it when he was the father figure to Lot in the past. But he never had fit into this name, Abraham, that meant father of multitudes, even in this moment that he gets the new name. He doesn't even fit into this, this name of father of multitudes until decades later. Think about that for a moment. Even if he were to, uh, later we see that, in Abraham's story that he eventually has Isaac. So he has Isaac and Ishmael from two baby mamas. And, uh, and later, 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 decades later, he has other children. But in this moment, even with just Isaac, father of the multitudes, two kids. I mean, I've never been called a father. I've got more kids than that. See, it the name even doesn't fit in this moment. But the reason that this is also meaningful is because it shows that God sees us at our full potential outside of our current status. He sees us as our full potential outside of our current status and and outside of our current moment of time. He sees you as your fulfilled self. God sees you as your fulfilled self before you ever become it. Before you ever become it. Because God is outside of time. Think about this for a moment. Our world, our concept of time is confined by our world. Even confined by the earth's rotation of the sun. And so uh, we literally are confined by this idea of time within our world. But God is eternal. He's uh, God is eternal. God is eternal. So he's not subject to the physics of this world. He's not subject to the 
uh, to time, he's eternal, and he and it's he describes the earth as merely a footstool for him. So he sees the past, the present, and the future all as one. So when he sees you now, he sees you as your full potential. Even as God is describing the grandeur of Abraham's descendants, he says, he says at the end of this verse, your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. So he's describing this great grandeur to Abraham and his future descendants. And he's attributing the honor to Abraham. Think about this for a moment. Have you ever thought of accepting credit for your great, 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 great grandchildren? Like, well, they would have never got there if it wasn't for me. <laughs> this is what God is saying. He's saying what you are doing now is setting up your great, 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 great grandchildren to be kings among people, to become great nations because of the way that you live now. And he's attributing the, the honor to it from it to Abraham because of how his current decisions completely affect and determine the state of their future. And it is because God it's, is outside of time. He sees the past, present, and future as one. And so for us, it's hard to really imagine that our actions go that far down. But to God, he's able to see it seamlessly. So now I want us to go into one last point. And that is covenant thinking. Covenant thinking. And I want to kind of speak off the cuff off of uh, this last part. And it's within um, Genesis chapter 17, verse 7 through 9. It says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. And this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be, your, it will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. So within this, we're talking about covenant thinking. I want us to un, uh, really grasp the, the idea that God takes his commitments seriously. God takes his commitments seriously. And we're going to analyze how uh, what it looks like in this moment, but we're going to see how it applies um, for us today too. So when, when God says, I'll confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you, he's saying this is, uh, this is a, uh, an established covenant covenant with you and all of your descendants and the, the agreement is this i will always be your god that's god's requirement from the people so he says you do this you always make me uh, you always put me first as as your uh your relation uh your primary relationship your as your um only god no other god before me and then i will give you the entire land of canaan see this is this 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 covenant is out make uh, 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 make me always have me as your your number one God, and I will give you the land of Canaan. And he says, and you will have this in your possession forever. And he's talking specifically to the people of Israel, right? And it says your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility to always put God first. And what is uh? The reason that I say that God takes his commitments seriously is because even today we see 
prophecy fulfilled with with the Jews inhabiting Israel today. And it, it is this covenant of forever. He says it will be your in your possession forever. And this uh, God's obligation he he met and he made this this grand prophecy that once they were re, would return from exile in Babylon and Assyria and that he would bring them back together in a nation that they will never that will never be that they'll never leave again and it's been fulfilled and it's it's incredible to really get into the details uh, when you look at some of the details and even some journal entries from soldiers and and uh, people that have been in war through Israel. There's some miraculous stuff that has happened over the years, ever since they've been formed into a country again, and, uh, and inhabited Israel again, this land that used to be known as Canaan. And I'm talking about how, look at how small Israel is, and literally on every side of them, every neighboring country of them is their enemies. It is, it, it's really interesting to see and look at the details in the history and yet they have uh they have this this uh they're continually attacked yet they have this like this iron dome they have when you look at some journal entries of soldiers they talk about these miraculous moments in which uh, uh mortar shells fell and never blew up like mortar shells that that landed right next to them never blew up moments where um is uh, two israeli soldiers um, got cornered by a uh, a van full of um, uh, pal- uh, uh, enemy soldiers, and and j- the the soldiers that were in the van described that uh, that this unspeakable fear came over them to where they couldn't even uh, lift their guns to the Israel soldiers, and so they all got captured. It, it's like these really interesting stories that show this supernatural significance of God keeping His covenant. And when we see this this idea of God keeping this covenant to Abraham centuries, for centuries later, it shows that he takes his commitments incredibly serious. And this is with the people of Israel who have continuously not met their their side of the covenant. They've consistently not met their side of the agreement. And rather than God backing out of the covenant, the, the agreement, he has kept his part up. And the reason that it, this is significant, when we just read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and we see all the times that Israel abandoned God as their, as their, um, as their God, we see God continually keep his covenant. The, in the New Testament, there's scripture that literally says that God is uh, faithful even when we are, uh, even when we are unfaithful. And the reason that this is so incredibly significant is because so often with our our new covenant through Christ, we we have this persona that the Holy Spirit leaves us so flippantly. We have this idea that if we make a mistake or if we fall into sin, that God wants have wants to have nothing to do with us, that he wants to banish us. There's some some people that literally uh teach this ideology that the Holy Spirit leaves you if you uh, if you fall into sin. Well, I I really think that the Holy Spirit bears a lot more um, than what we give it credit for because all throughout Scripture we see that uh, we see people disheartening God in the way that they live, yet He refuses to forsake them. 
and the Holy Spirit, the, the covenant that God made with you and I through Jesus on the cross is a much more serious covenant. The, the Holy Spirit promised you is much more serious than you realize and that his commitment to you is is so much greater than than uh than your mistakes or your shortcomings and that it's the 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 holy spirit being with you isn't necessarily dependent on how good or bad you are it's dependent off of the covenant god has made with you and so the moment that you uh have this uh, this acceptance of God's new covenant with you through Jesus Christ. When you enter a relationship with Him, you put your trust in Him. The the whole the God is is made a commitment to you. Uh, the Holy Spirit has made a covenant to you, and He doesn't just take that away flippantly be, uh, because of our shortcomings or our, or our failures. And even as we look back on the way that Abraham was seen, he was seen as his full potential. And in the same way. God doesn't see us as our greatest mistakes. He sees us as our greatest potential. And so don't, uh, this last point, I want us to really be clear that God doesn't just take his Holy Spirit from you. He doesn't just break covenant with you whenever you, you fall short. The difference between a contract and a covenant is a contract is something to where you failed your side of the your obligations, so now I'm going to back out. While covenant is a 100% commitment, even, even past the 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 obligations of the other party that's what god is making clear here that he's faithful even when we are unfaithful so um i think that's a good spot for us to pause before we uh rather than going on into this the next several verses because there's a lot to unpack within the the next four verses so we're going to wait till next week but with that being said um if at some point during this this talk today Maybe you're having this realization as I'm talking uh, over and over about God's seriousness within his commitment and his covenant with us as uh, through Jesus Christ. And you're maybe realizing for the first time how seriously God thinks of you, uh, how, how much he's actually committed to you. And maybe you're realizing that you've never made an official decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ, to enter into this covenant, and you want to do that today. The Bible says that all you have to do is, is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus is who he says he is. That's the obligation of the covenant, is to put your trust in Jesus and have this conversation with him. And if uh, and that is that he is the Son of God that died on the cross for the world's sins and rose from the dead. And if you have that conversation with him, that's how you enter this 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 covenant it's a verbal covenant and you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer you don't need me to uh to lead you through that it's you and god that are entering into that covenant together and you can do that as genuine as possible with uh with your own conversation with him um and so with that being said i if that is you i urge you to not let another day go by but have that conversation today with jesus christ that being said, I'm going to pray. God, I thank you for this time that we had together to to meet and talk about uh, your word and your scripture. I pray that this would be edifying to these men and that your Holy Spirit would guide us um, in learning from Abraham and seeing uh, a true potential within his story and within ourselves. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.